Hi there and welcome to the YM Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Shaw. The vision of this show is to educate and engage apostolic student pastors, youth workers, just like you, as you educate, engage, and disciple the next generation of students and young adults. You know, I was thinking the other day that one of the most powerful things we can do as leaders is walk with people through crisis. We can put their arm around them as they navigate and heal from the wounds and trauma of life. And we can let them know that Jesus is with them. And so are we. Honestly, more than organizing a great NAYC trip, having an amazing youth service or an incredible, you know, fun Friday night, walking with people through what feels like their valley of the shadow of death can be one of the most powerful things you'll ever do as a leader. But look, I get it. Ministering to trauma is often extremely complicated, and we can at times feel under-equipped and overwhelmed. Well, to help us navigate the complexity of ministering to trauma and ministering to young adults in a crisis is Nishola Price. She is a registered psychotherapist, a certified Canadian counselor, and the director of Sound Mind Counseling Services, where she helps people by offering faith-based counseling services, empowering people to make positive life changes with mechanism of healing and strength through biblical principles. She is also a licensed minister with the United Pentecostal Church, and she and her husband are pastoring a church in southwestern Ontario. More than her academic or ministerial credentials, I can vouch for Nishola because I've known her pretty much my entire life. She's an incredible woman of integrity. She's got a great walk with God and a tremendous wealth of knowledge that comes from her education as well as ministerial experience. You're going to learn a lot from this interview, and it's going to help you feel more empowered to help students in crisis. So without any further ado, let's jump right into our conversation with Nishola price. Nishola, it is so awesome to have you on the show today. Thank you for taking time out of your, your busy schedule. And we're just going to jump into the very first question. And that is, uh, what is trauma? Uh, we hear a lot of, we hear this word a lot. Mm -hmm. And, and so uh, you, you are a, a mental health expert and, and you have a, a practice, you work with clients and what mm -hmm. is trauma like really in what are some of the symptoms of trauma and how should we kind of respond to them when we see them in the life of our students in our student ministry? Right. So thanks for having me. And I think it's such a good question because we hear this word thrown around a lot, a lot these days, even socially, a lot of times in media, whether jokingly or a person is being very serious in their experience. Um, but one of the working definitions of trauma is that it's a response to intensely stressful events or situations. And these responses can have an effect long-term. So it's it's important that we lean into knowing that trauma is not just about the event. I think sometimes there's an assumption that we will minimize um, our intense emotions that we experience because we're like, well, it's not you know this big thing that happened. And sometimes it's not so much about the event, it's more so our response to it and what that triggers. And sometimes that affects our own worldview and our own feelings of safety. Um, and as a result of that, we can get very overwhelmed. I know we're familiar with just how our nervous system works, that fight, flight, or freeze response. 
So for people who have experienced a traumatic event, um, trauma is when we get stuck with those triggers going off, the fight, flight, or freeze. So it's not so much the event, it's our response to the event. What are some signs to, to you know, I'm, for this conversation we're, we're having today, we're, we're talking to youth pastors and youth leaders that may lead a, a variety of different students. And you know, as they're looking across their youth group, they're looking across their, their congregation of young adults, mm-hmm. And and they're wanting to help. They're wanting to serve. What are some, what are some signs uh, for mm-hmm. them to to look for? I you mentioned fight, flight, or freeze, mm-hmm. uh, but from an external kind of pastoral looking perspective, uh, what are some signs to look for? Be like, oh man, I think they're I think they're struggling, and the struggle may be a little more intense than the typical normative things that a, a teenager or young adult would face. Right, and I think what was key that you just said was normative. So look at people's responses that maybe don't match the situation on the surface level. So it's, okay, we're planning to do this thing. We're going somewhere and that person is just breaking down, crying. Look at their body language. Um, They're shaking. We don't want to be dismissive of when we start to see those kind of symptoms and signs. Sometimes there's young people who might even disclose that they're having nightmares um, or they're starting to practice avoidance. You're noticing that they're not showing up as much. So I would say start to get curious when you see um, abnormalities and when you see these responses that don't really seem to suit the situation, we start to see, oh, well, maybe there's something more to it. Um, I would also say as leaders, yes, we want to become familiar with some of these symptoms of what trauma looks like and also operate from a place of curiosity rather than a space of, oh, it can't be that. And that can be really dismissive in a person's response. And just because it's not your shared experience, um, we have to be careful that we don't overlook them and cause them to internalize and go quiet and not feel emotionally safe to disclose. You know what? I actually do feel really distressed over this breakdown in a friendship that I had. And maybe that's attached to they have abandonment issues or it's triggering something else in their life. So I know I'm spanning it out a little bit more detailed, but I would just say generally as leaders, be cautious of, yeah, if you notice that things are off with your young people in their behaviors and start to get curious as to the why to help make that distinction if it is something traumatic and lean into professional help as well to to really help to guide making that distinction. What are some common mental health issues that people or young people face in their in their teens and early 20s. Most of the people listening to this show, uh, this is their target. Their target demographic is from like 12 to 25 or 12 to 30. And in your experience, your practice, your training, what are some common themes that you see um, with Gen Zers in in particular uh, that, that you could be able to kind of share with us and be like, hey, these are some common things. This is stuff that's going to happen at some point in your youth ministry career. Hmm. Um, and this question is always interesting because I, I've gotten this question in other spaces as well. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't want to do a disservice and only funnel it down. So here are the top three. And then it's like, Michelle, I'm experiencing other, other ones. <laughs> Can you mention yeah. those? Um, but in this very specific context, in our North American lens, um, there are studies that show like generalized anxiety are very common experiences for young people. 
social phobias. So that's like having insecurity in social settings, those severe feelings of self-consciousness and depression. Um, going through feelings of depression, and some people are even, you know, diagnosed with a depressive mood disorder. So I would say, generally speaking, those three areas, um, it's not unusual for that to show up in that age range. And if we think we put this in context of even going through a pandemic, where it increased a lot of symptoms of anxiety and depression, um, then it doesn't feel so disconnected to to see it show up in our youth groups. Now mm -hmm. I'm I'm absolutely derailing from the script here for a moment. Um, uh, <laughs> okay, and I've this is what I've seen, and and I know you've given us the 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 mental health issues are are complex and they're nuanced and there's a desire for many millennial leaders to have the BuzzFeed top three list, and <laughs> but but in in my experience, the, these things that you've mentioned are things that I've seen as the old guy in a room full of Gen Zers. And I, I know this is such a loaded question, but why, why are we seeing this? Is, is there any, and I know every situation is different, but, but are there any kind of social or cultural factors that, you know, I'm thinking social phobias and generalized anxiety. And you mentioned the mm -hmm. pandemic had an impact on that, but mm -hmm. you know, my dad brain started pinging uh, about, people uh, obsessively occupying their time on their phones as opposed to, you know, being in real life, developing real in-person relationships uh, as, as a possibility, but I'm not a trained therapist and, and you are. And so have you mm -hmm. had, have you had any moments of reflection? You're like, man, I'm seeing this a lot. Mm -hmm. What are the sociocultural kind of factors that seem to be driving this, these, these top three things that everyone is seeing right. in their youth groups right now. Right. Um, <clears throat> so once again, I, I don't want to be, um, I want to be very cautious in how yes. I talk about this because I think we do a very big disservice by oversimplifying. Yeah. Be like here is the solution. Boom, 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 ABC. And you, you got it. Um, because each person is, is so different and the why behind what they're going through varies. However, that being said, I think there are some big factors that we, we, we can take into account. Um, we live in an age now where, yes, there was the impact of COVID-19. There's the impact of all that isolation that we went through, and we can see how it's affected many people socially. Um, there was also... I. As a counselor, I look through things through a grief lens. And that just means a, a grief informed lens. That just means that, you know, grief is a natural response to loss. And there were a lot of losses that happened in a short window of time. Um, losses of good things as well. When I say that, I mean, you think about the young people that didn't get a chance to graduate with their class. They're, they're going through a grief cycle of that. You think about the young people that maybe they transitioned schools. I talk to some young people that were right in the midst of either starting university or making that transition and then everything went online. They didn't get that runway to connect with others in the same way. There's young people who, and I, I don't want to get to the weeds with this, so bear with me. Uh, there's young people who talk about even, you know, not having conventions, not having these shared social experiences that we're used to having that does affect how they connect with others, that affects even relationships. Like how am I, how am I going to be found when uh, I'm at home? <laughs> yeah. How am I going to connect with others when there aren't 
there weren't these spaces for a, a time. So that has had an impact. Now, being on the other side of that, not just that in and of itself, but um, we also we also live in an age where everybody's online and there's a blessing and a curse to that. Um, there's a huge impact in even taking in so much information in a short amount of time, especially seeing the highlight reel of other people's lives that can lead to feelings of um, defeat or feelings of, oh, I'm not, I'm not to that level. I'm not the same way. I remember one of the messages like all throughout the pandemic was like, you had the time to start that business. You had the time to, you know, do all the things. You had the time to make that money. You had the time to shine. What were you doing during that time? And it created a pressure that I saw translated in even the clients that came to me of like, maybe I'm not doing all of the right things. And this, this false perception, this distorted thought of I'm behind, this narrative of being behind in life. I see that a lot in young people. So I, I know I'm touching on a lot of several areas because it is very nuanced. But generally speaking, I think that some of the factors like social media, like the effects of the pandemic, have definitely contributed to why we're seeing this. And we're talking about it more. So the more that we're talking about, it, the more information we have, it's going to feel like, oh, did this just start happening out of nowhere? It's like, well, no, we're actually you know, destigmatizing it. That's a good part of it. We're talking about it more. So there's more awareness. That's it's so good. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't thinking about the, the loss of good things in the same way that you framed it, but mm -hmm. it's so true. You think of, there are certain ceremonies and rituals we have baked into our culture that help us get closure on something and then move into a, you know, like a, a new season or a new way of being and the negative side on the, the grief loss side of uh, something awful or bad or sad that can happen is, is like the loss of a loved one, like a grandparent, right? You have, mm -hmm. you have a funeral and in a funeral, you, there, there is a closure doesn't fully happen then, but there's this ceremony to kind of bring to bear the reality that this person is, is now gone. They're now into eternity and we must now enter into a phase of life and processing that we are no longer with this person. This person's no longer with us. And, mm -hmm. and it, there's a, there's a closure to a, uh, to a good funeral service that allows people to go into the next phase of, of life and grief and all those, all those types of things. But then thinking through the pandemic, I never considered the loss of a graduation this way. So you have this big identity of a high school student and, mm -hmm. and, and then there's like this adultifying of your life that happens when you <laughs> enter into post-secondary school and you're now an adult, you're now building towards a career, but you have this closure moment where you walk across the stage, you got a gown on, you got a cap, you get a diploma, they move the little tassel thing, to the other side of your head. And it's like, okay, my teen years are kind of over now. And I'm now mm. kind of like in this brand new season of becoming an adult or walking into adulthood. And there's like a whole generation of people that did not get that. Right. Wow. Right. That can right. have an impact. It's like I never got closure on the life that I walked out of. Right. And you never got to do something in community. And that was the expectation yes. before. It was a shared experience. You have other people that you can relate to. It starts to feel a lot more normal. And you feel like you have permission to like share 
the experience, whether good or bad. So when we're talking about a funeral, it's that shared grief experience and that support. And then with a graduation, like it's not, it's not going to hit the same to throw your cap in the air in your room, looking at a screen not at as all. you have that momentum with everybody in the room. And it's like, we did all of the things we're all going into that symbolism, that momentum, you can't replace that. And there are a lot of people who just didn't have that experience and there was an expectation for it. Um, so yeah, that definitely can, can impact. Now, well, I'm sure while well, everyone listening here, they're tuning into this episode because they care. They're, they're, they're wanting to be a, a good youth pastor, a good student leader, a, a small group leader, hyphen leader, Sunday school leader, and, and they're prayerful, they're empathetic, uh, they're anointed. They're, if obviously, if they're listening to this and they, they probably serve in a church, their pastor believes in them and asks them to be a part, uh, and, and they want to help people that are in experiencing trauma, that are experiencing these disruptive events and disruptive emotions. But there's going to just come a time, I think, Nishola, where we hit the wall on our professional kind of capacity. We're going to face situations as youth pastors, as youth leaders that are beyond our training and beyond our capacity. Mm -hmm. um, what should we do if we find ourselves not equipped to handle the issues with the student? And I guess kind of the off script question is, how do I know when I'm in over my head and I need it? I need to bring in somebody like you. To, mm -hmm. to help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's such a good, a good question, because this lends to having a conversation about awareness. And I think awareness, especially when it comes to youth leaders, can really start funny enough from a job description. Do the research and make it very clear. Here is what we expect from you as a leader. Here is what you can handle. Here is what here are the circumstances that you can't handle. Now you asked a really good question of okay, like that sounds great, Nishola, but where to start? Um, there is a program in UPCI called Safe Church, and in the Ontario district that I'm a part of, I am the Safe Church coordinator, and it's I'm just starting to get into it, but they have a lot of really good resources as far as templates of policies and procedures that can help to take out the legwork of where do I start? It's a really good starting point. Um, it does have to be customized to be in sync with, you know, rules, regulations, legislation of wherever you live, whether that's in the States or in Canada. Um, so it definitely has to be fine-tuned to suit the laws. But I'm, I'm bringing that up as one example of what that looks like in a lived experience of, okay, let's start to examine our church policies of, safety. What is the expectation? What do, what is available? What do people know is available as far as reporting? So when you start to teach your leaders that, they can then teach um, those who they're leading. And it gives a lot of clarity and takes off a lot of pressure. So Adam, what that could look like is when someone's coming into a youth group, it's like, oh, welcome to our youth group. Here's our youth leader. Here's the times that he or she is available. Here's a um, what you, you know, we can speak to them about this. If you're having some troubles and then you can maybe have a starting list, just know that we're here for you, for you to talk to us, to let us know what's going on. If you are experiencing, you know, these symptoms of distress or these symptoms of trauma or this, here's where we're going to direct you. So it's not just, I can't handle it. I don't know what to say. Now you're, you feel better equipped and confident Oh, we're going to go to our referral list. Here's how we're going to do some handholding with you. Know that if you disclose um, that you've been abused, I am mandated to report that. I know I'm kind of getting into 
the really specifics on reporting. But just to speak to your question of being equipped with the right information, having clear policies and communicating the expectation to your leaders can help to bring a lot of clarity on this is what I'm responsible for and this is what I'm not responsible for. And we have so many great resources. There's a Center for Apostolic Counseling. Um, and that's also a space where you can find apostolic counselors, lean to them, start to get to know them, even reaching out and saying, you know what, I, I'm a youth leader and I just wanna know what's available. I wanna have this on hand to offer to my young people if I'm feeling that I'm not equipped because we do want to be very loving, be very caring and be available, but it's really dangerous when we're not measuring our capacities. And we're also in a space of, there's a power difference. You know, there's a power difference. So when we lead with transparency and knowing our limits, knowing when to start reporting, I think that sets us up for, um, yeah, a better expectation from everybody. And I loved what you said there, that, that, knowing that there are situations that are beyond your capacity, beyond your training, really beyond your your job description as a youth pastor, it doesn't mean that you go hands off. This is above my head. I can't do anything about it. It's, it's actually a time for you to be very present, but not taking on a role that you are not equipped to take on, but connecting mm. your students to the people that can do something that for whatever reason, training, capacity, uh, just general job description that mm -hmm. um, that you are incapable of doing. It doesn't mean that you become absent. It just means that you are very present in connecting them to the things that you're not able to provide. And that can be a very empowering feeling to say, you mm -hmm. want to know what? Hey, you and I, we, I'm not able to help you with this particular thing that you're, you're, dealing with it's beyond my capacity but but that's okay because i have this really great person that i want you and your family to get connected to and uh i'm going to be with you through the whole process i'm going to be your youth pastor i'm going to walk with you but but here is their number you can talk to them and get connected to them because they're a christian counselor and they'll be able to help you in ways that i can't that's a very empowering mm -hmm. feeling and it doesn't mean you're hands off it it means that that you're you're connecting. You're doing what a good shepherd does, and that's you're mm -hmm. connecting people to the the resources that 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 they need. You mentioned legal obligations and reporting, mm -hmm. and uh, let's let's hit that for for a moment. What are our kind of legal obligations? We may be in a situation where a student reveals that something is happening or has happened to them, uh, but begs us not to tell. Please keep this a secret. No one can know what should what should our response be? And and I know you can't speak to every state or provincial federal legislation between the two countries that span the UPCI, but mm -hmm. I, I think there's some commonalities um, there. Can you kind of speak to the, the the generalities of what the legal obligations of somebody in a position of power in a church would be? Mm -hmm. Yeah, generally speaking, in most provinces, states there is a mandate to report any suspicion or knowledge of abuse, um, especially for minors. So those, it does, that number does vary, whether it's 16 or 17. So even though we're speaking generally, I would strongly encourage um, each youth leader to look into the laws of where you live, of the city, the state, the province, wherever you're at, so that you're not ignorant to it because ignorance of it doesn't dismiss the responsibility 
And so become aware, become better equipped and knowing where to report and on what to report. And what I love about Safe Church is one of the things that they really stress is that it is our job to report and not to investigate. I think when there's a confusion of the two and we feel like we have to take on the investigation, that's when we get into some really uncertain spaces. Um, and that can happen maybe from an emotional level where whether it's, I well, I know these people and I want to make, make sure that I'm protecting them, that I'm pressing it out, but we are not to put ourselves in that position of judge and jury. And actually, I've also heard it said, some people are fearful of what, what it will mean to report. It's like, but what if that disrupts a person's life? This person is begging me not to tell. But once again, when we are even keel with everyone, doesn't matter the circumstance, it doesn't matter the person, we let them know very clearly, I am mandated to do this by law. I have to report this. And this is going to be for your safety. And this is going to be for the investigation of what you're going through. So many times the outcome of that is people subconsciously are looking for help. They just don't know what's going to come of it. Mm -hmm. So rather than us speaking to that fear and then using avoidance or saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm my knee jerk reaction is I'm going to try and protect you and not report it. That's actually so dangerous because we put ourselves in a compromising position as well. So I would say, like, going back to where we talked about being very clear on what the rules are, that's going to help when those conversations come up. Then you're speaking from a space of just to remind you, there are some things I will have to disclose. But not speaking from a threatening space, but this will be for your safety. This is going to be for the safety of others. So that's what generally I would say is that um, as a church, we should be creating a culture of safety for victims of abuse and then for the church as well. So it's twofold. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a that's a good twofold point to make. And that is primarily our, our, our reason for being mandatory reporters is to ultimately protect our students. Mm -hmm. And I loved what you said about, you know, not being an investigator, but being a reporter, that there are people that have been empowered to investigate things. And youth pastors usually are not, uh, most of the time are not, or not in mm -hmm. the role of youth pastor ever, are they? <laughs> and, mm -hmm. I, and, and what I always do, and I'm, you know, if someone's struggling with a, um, an emotionally loaded decision is to move the quandary into another disparate, but somewhat similar space. And go, well, mm -hmm. would you investigate a murder or would you report it? And mm -hmm. it's like, well, no, <laughs> I, wouldn't, mm -hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go do that. Well, it's mm -hmm. like, well, how's this different? <laughs> it's, not, it's, right. it's, it's not different at all. I mean, if you wouldn't go investigate a, a bank robber, you'd call 911. And, mm -hmm. and you know, you'd, you'd, you'd get a SWAT team outside the bank. And then you'd go hang out behind a an armored vehicle. Cause that's not your role. Your role this is getting so detailed. <laughs> Adam, is there something that you want to talk about? <laughs> yeah, listen, uh, uh, <laughs> those old days at camp, with Nathan are just running back. Uh, I knew it was connected. I knew it was connected. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, it's using redactio ad absurdum to kind of like paint yeah. that picture. Cause I've had some hard conversations being the old youth group guy now. 
where it's people they've they've wrestled not they were wrestling with a situation but they were wrestling with the concept of oh i gotta make sure i'm cautious i gotta make sure that you know i look into it first like no you don't you wouldn't look into a murder before you called the police you would you would call the police and and we have an ethical and moral obligation to our students and also like you as you closed out that it's for the local church as well that Mm -hmm that by having good practices there is temporary extreme stress to mm-hmm. to to report something but the mm-hmm. end result is by acting ethically we save not only potentially a student but we save the local church uh and and as well we we save it from a host of deep like deeply traumatic issues that can happen when ministers do not report uh, and leaders do not report things correctly. So thank you for clarifying, uh, clarifying that for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the, the final question in our, in our discussion today is it is inevitable that if you serve in youth ministry and youth leadership long enough, that at some point, a, a young person, a young adult in our ministry is going to experience a significant trauma event or a series uh, a series of them and hopefully it will not be to the extreme of a mandatory reported type of event but that could happen there will be other things there will be you know diseases losses um accidents stuff will happen that will that will create trauma and mm-hmm how can we start now? So we're not in this reactionary kind of posture. What can we do as student ministers, youth pastors, youth workers to prepare our youth ministry, to prepare ourselves, however you wish to answer it for that Mm -hmm. inevitable traumatic event that will hit, hit a student and invariably as a result, hit the whole youth group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I, I think that's speaking to, where you said inevitable, that we know that there are going to be, it, it's just normal that there's gonna be um, trauma that's gonna experience. And, and once again, not the event so much, it's the event too, but a person's reaction to it. And one of the first things I would say is make sure that you seek counsel. Uh, Proverbs 11 and 14 tells us for in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And that's more than just a job for my personal profession. (laughs) Um, Counseling can be mentorship from the older generation. And sometimes I have seen where people can get dismissive of what the the older generation has to offer. It's like, well, they did things pretty wild or, you know, some aspects of what they did were it wasn't right. But you can also learn from a perspective of tell me what are the lessons that you've learned? What are the mistakes that you've made? How can I avoid that? And that's being having good stewardship of like, I'm on this pathway, point out the potholes to me, not just so I can, you know, bump into them as well, but how can I fill them and in a practical way? It's like, what do you wish you did differently? That even in my own life, that's something that I ask other leaders that I engage with and not just to have this catchphrase question, but really to try and glean from them of what could, what could I learn to do differently from now being proactive? Then there's also insights from mental health professionals. So we spoke about the older generation, but mental health professionals, that's where we talked about, you know, where you start to feel you have the limited capacities. 
so they can give you good information. They're coming from a space where they're educated. Uh, they specialize in these areas. And then in you know engaging and training where possible. Yes, I am promoting Safe Church all throughout today's interview as well, but they do Absolutely. have central. They have free courses to take and free training. So you're equipping yourself with information. And when we're equipped with that, the process for something like reporting abuse becomes a lot less intimidating, actually. It's the more that we understand it, the more that it's like, okay, this is not my responsibility. Or as you framed it, Adam, I have a legal obligation to do this. This is not just, I don't feel like, or maybe I should. This is, there are consequences uh, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and legally <laughs> that are attached to this. So yeah. that can also help to free that burden of like, I, I have to do this thing. Um, and then I'd also say to be very aware of your own limits in your worldview. What I mean by that is as a leader, we are leading from our own lens and that's stating the obvious, but be mindful that you are not dismissing another person's experience because you can't relate to what they've been through. Mm. Uh, I'll give you one example. So years, years, years ago, we had an influx of some new people in our youth group that came directly from a country in Africa. And they were so enthusiastic to be a part, you know, they were learning English, we were, they were getting engaged and it was a great time in our church. But I remember we planned this one outing and it was for laser tag. And we started to explain like, oh, we're gonna go do this cool thing, laser tag and, and trying to explain to them just like oh, the mechanisms behind it and how it works. And I just remember, and I wasn't a youth leader at that time, I was a part of the youth group, but I remember some of their, their eyes just opened wide when we started talking about like, oh, you're shooting each other. And they were coming from these war-torn, a war-torn country. Yeah. And it was just devastating. And they were like, no, 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 no. We're, we don't want to do that. And trying to explain to us their experience. So I know that that's, it might sound a little bit more extreme, but it came to mind uh, when I thought about this because we really had to filter through and be like, oh yeah, this is norm to us. This is how we, what we translate as fun. And so I would say in, a, in taking the principle from that is be ready to pivot, be ready to shift, be ready to help um, gain understanding of other people's perspectives that are in your youth group. They might not want to go to certain spaces or do certain things and you might not understand it. So once again, start to get curious. How can we create a culture of safety that we also take into account we might be bringing, not might, we're going to bring our own biases, our own worldview. So be very cognitive of that. Be very aware and be be ready to educate yourself more. And sometimes that's listening to people's experiencing their experiences and understanding the impact uh, that it's had on them. Well, Nishola, thank you so very much for being on the show today. This has been enormously helpful. Um, as you've referred to throughout this conversation, arming yourself with knowledge is, is probably one of the most powerful things that a student leader can do. So we're not paralyzed by mm -hmm. the, the issues that, that come our way. And you've provided us with knowledge today. I just want to thank you for being on the YM Leadership Podcast. I know that there are youth leaders and youth pastors all over the United Pentecostal Church International that are going to be helped today. And thank you for advocating for, for Safe Church. And I think that's a great resource that, that every youth pastor needs to leverage on Ministry Central so that they can equip themselves to 
be able to meet students at the point of need. And if we do equip ourselves and we take the advice you've given today, there are untold souls that will be in heaven because we handled their trauma with care and with love and with sensitivity. And I think that's the important thing to remind us all of today is that when we do the right things and we won't be perfect all the time, but when we follow Nishola's advice that we could invariably not just ministering minister to people who are in pain, but we also could be protecting them from the enemy that wants to step in and mm-hmm. uh, rob them of their salvation and their soul. And they, they could go to heaven because of how we handled them in their pain and in their trauma. So thank you so much, Nishola. So great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me.